Hi, welcome to the Homicide Canada podcast. I'm your host, Phil, with my co-host, Tammy, and who's also our producer. Uh, this is episode 46, and in this episode, we go over the homicides in that occurred in Canada in December 2023. Uh, so beside this podcast, uh, we have a website, homicidecanada.com, and if you go there, uh, we have basically try to have like a a um a page for every homicide. Uh we've also got pages for each province and the major municipalities. So say if you're one of Toronto, you're from Toronto, you can go and look and see how many homicides there are and then links on that page to the homicides that occurred in Toronto. Uh we also have an email address. It's info at homicidecanada.com. Uh I've been trying to check that more frequently. Uh and so yeah, if uh we've missed a murder on that, you can hit us up there. Um, and tell us, because, yeah, we sometimes do miss them. Uh, we try to do as good a job as we can, but, yeah, it's definitely if we've missed one, let us know. And also, we're on Instagram and Facebook. I think basically just uh, putting your search, uh, Homicide Canada, we should come up. And, yeah, you can message us there, too. Uh, also, we're on Twitter, Homicide underscore Canada. You can always, like, DM us there as well. Uh, okay. So, normally, I would have the year-to-date stats for... Um, I guess 2024, but uh, I have like a software program I, I, I've written um, and it basically goes to our website and downloads the uh, HTML and then tells me how many homicides there are from our website, but I haven't updated it for 2024 yet. So yeah, I'm not sure <laughs> how many homicides we've had so far in 2024. Not, but, uh, not that many. There hasn't been that many, I guess. So um, yeah, because we're recording this January 23rd, but uh, next month, definitely or the next monthly episode or monthly episode podcast, I will have that fixed and be able to tell you how many homicides there's been in Canada so far this year. Uh, yeah, and so I guess we'll get to the December homicide stats. Okay, so December 2023, there were 67 homicides compared to 68 the previous year. So that's pretty close. It is pretty close. Uh, there were 43 male victims, 9 female victims, and 15 unknown. Yeah, why so many uh, unknown victims this <laughs> So month? the unknowns have to do with the um, Kenneth Law case. Oh, uh, okay. So, so, yeah, we'll talk about that. Yeah. So, all right. And so, oh, for, so for a lot of them, we don't know their gender then? Or? We, yeah, we know nothing other than that they were in just, Ontario. We just, okay, so we just know the number then, yeah. I guess. Okay, that's interesting. Okay. So, yeah, Okay. Uh, all right, so what we do for these podcasts, particular podcast episodes, we always go through who the oldest and youngest victim was in Canada. Uh, so in December of 2023, uh, of homicide victims. So the oldest victim was a 98-year-old at an Iroquois Falls uh, long-term care home. Uh, Ontario Provincial Police responded to the report of a death of a 98-year-old resident December 20th. Uh, OPP said they believe the person died after an interaction between two other tenants in the home, uh, police have not released the identity of the deceased or what led to their death. Um, investigators, investigators are asking anyone with information on the case to speak to police, uh, which is interesting because, uh, I don't know, you figure it was a care home and that, that yeah. everyone there you could interview on that, but uh, maybe yeah. there's some random stranger out there that knows something about this case and that. So, yeah, I don't know. You I guess, know. I guess, yeah, this is like, it's interesting, like, it doesn't happen that often, but it, there's a few, I think, at least a few every year of one of these weird care home murders where like one of the other residents I don't know I would have to guess that they probably had dementia or something like that or that there's a lot more than you would think, think yeah but so. I guess 
that's it's, like someone it's, falls. It's kind of sad, obviously. Yeah, if you're 90 years old, it's like probably not going to take a lot for you to uh, no to to die, unfortunately. So, um, yeah, and so and it's interesting that there's two other tenants, so they kind of tag team this poor person. But uh, yeah, so. I don't know. It's uh, getting older is sometimes kind of tough and like, yeah, yeah, sad way to go at the end. Uh, but the person made it in 98. So I don't know. Like, I don't it's know. It's better old. than some people. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, so the youngest was a one and a half year old boy at a daycare in L'Assomption. That's in Quebec. Quebec Provincial Police said a top toddler was seriously, found seriously injured at a home daycare this week. Uh, the boy later died in hospital. Uh, police said the suspect from Notre Dame de Lourdes, Quebec, was arrested on December 8th. Uh, according to reports, the death is being investigated as a homicide. A publication ban has been placed on the boy's identity. I don't really understand that in the sense that, you know, he's dead. Um, yeah. I don't know. Like, 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 I don't know. It's, I could see like Young Offenders Act for, but those are the cues in that. But like, I don't know. Admittedly, we're biased. Obviously, we want this information, but uh, I don't know. I, f- I find it strange because it seems to be happening more and more now. Um, the cause of death has not been released at this time. And so, who has been charged is Tommy, T O M Y, Carranza Ladry, L A D R Y, who is 34, and he was charged with second degree murder. And I Googled it just to make sure, and that's actually uh, a male, apparently. Ah. So that's kind of interesting. Yeah. Um, because I would, I guess, most home daycares are run by women. Um, not that there's anything wrong with men being in the, in the child care industry, but uh, although I don't, we don't really we don't know. know if he we was don't know what so happened, why he if he was part, like if he was running it or part yeah. of it or just whatever. So you know very little but yeah so that's the youngest victim which is yeah usually always pretty sad so the provincial uh homicides the number is here uh so ontario which is the most populous province obviously uh has 33 homicides alberta has 11 uh manitoba has eight saskatchewan has six bc has four quebec which is the second most populous province only has two which is kind of remarkable uh newfoundland has one so they've already had one this year um, and then let's see, all the others have zero so far in January or no, in December rather. Actually, oh wait, yeah, PEI has one. Oh, do they? Okay. Yeah. Oh, all right. So that's a rarity. Is that PEI's first of, of 2023 then? Yeah. Or? Oh, wow. Okay. All right. So who in December of 2023 didn't have a homicide? So New Brunswick and Nova Scotia, and then all three territories, none of it, um, the Northwest Territories and the Yukon Territory. Had no homicides in December of 2023. The cities with more than one homicide. So here we go back with that number. There's 12 yeah. unknown, and those are linked to Kenneth Law, who we talked about in the November episode. Uh, Law has been charged with 14 counts of second-degree murder involving the sale of sodium nitrate. So I guess for our listeners who haven't listened to the November podcast, which you should, <laughs> our podcast episodes are great. Uh, yeah, he basically was a guy who was like selling this uh, as, I guess, a suicide solution in that. So, yeah, if you wanted to kill yourself, then he would sell this. And yeah, he's been charged with a lot of homicides for that. So. Um, Toronto had eleven. Winnipeg had five. Saskatoon had three. Calgary had two. Delta had two. Edmonton had two. Hamilton had two, and Regina had two. Um, Delta is that in British Columbia? Or? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, murders by type, 22 unknown, 5 stabbings, 11 shootings, 
four baitings and 19 others. Okay. And so those unknowns, I would include also the Kevin Thaw ones? No, that? those are in the other Oh, section. the other category. Yeah. All right. So, all right. Just like a lot of, it's true, often there's a lot of cases where initially we don't know how it happened. Yeah, um, we might not know until the trial. trial. Oh, great. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, we're going to get to the section of the podcast. We're going to go through some of the noteworthy uh, December murders. Okay. So, it's a fatal Edmonton hit and run uh, involving a, an, a cyclist investigated the homicide. Uh, Edmonton police responded to a hit-and-run collision in the area of 156th Street and 107th Avenue on December 1st, approximately 12 p.m. So, yeah, noon. Interesting. Uh, according to police, a black Lincoln SUV struck a male cyclist in a parking lot and immediately fled the scene. Uh, the victim, 31-year-old Lawrence Bishop, died in hospital with the cause of death being a blunt injury, obviously from the car. Uh, Jonathan Morgan, 38, was arrested following the collision and charged with dangerous driving causing death. Failing to stop after an accident resulting in death and suspended driving. Uh, investigators have since discovered the victim and the accused knew one another. And the EPS homicide section is now leading the investigation. Investigators ask, continue to ask witnesses and those who have dash cam or home security footage of the collision or events leading up to the collision to please contact um, Edmonton police. So, yeah, that's kind of interesting. In the fact, like, yeah, originally, like, noon... Um, and this guy in this big SUV hits this cyclist in that, and then, um, yeah, they find out that they actually know each other in that, so. Yeah. PEI RCMP make two arrests in connection to the disappearance of Tyson Blair McDonald. Uh, is Tyson, sorry, uh, is Tyson sorry. a male or a female? A uh, male. Okay, yeah. PEI RCMP arrested two youths in connection with the disappearance of Tyson Blair McDonald on the evening of December 19th, 2023. Investigators located human remains in the Sorry Road and Milltown Cross on December 20th. The two youths are in PEI RCMP custody. The identity of the human remains has not yet been confirmed, and RCMP are working with Provincial Coroner to make the identification. Kevin Lewis, Acting Commander Officer for PEI, said several charges are expected to be laid later, including homicide. RCMP continue to collect evidence in this case and ask anyone with information to contact them at 902-566-7112 or anonymously through PEI Crime Stoppers at 1-800-222-TIPS. Uh, and so this Tyson Blair McDonald, do we know the name then? Or, or not the name, rather, the age of this individual? Or? Um, I'm not 100% sure, but he's young. Like okay, he's, so do you think yeah. he's also under 18 like the people charged? Maybe or? under 20. Under 20? Okay, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So homicide and PEI. That's got to be kind of a bit fair, usually. Okay, uh, so the next one. Uh, so police investigate the death of Mark Hoffman and his dog in Logan Lake Community Forest as a homicide. So RP, RCMP said Mark Hoffman and his dog were found dead in the Logan Lake Community Forest and uh, Monday, December 18th. Uh, he was last seen leaving his Kamloops, B.C. home around uh, about 24 hours earlier. And the green Ford Explorer's driving was also found nearby. Um, Southeast District Major Crime Unit said the homicide happened west of Highway 5th off of Inks Lake Road. Uh, we are urging the public to assist in this investigation. We're particularly interested in speaking with anyone who had interactions with Mark Hoffman on December 15th or 16th or anyone who was in the vicinity of the crime scene during the, that period, said Inspector Brent uh, Novakowski. Uh, so I looked it up, and I guess the CBC has an article, and they have a picture of his dog. Because, um, yeah, so the dog is dead, too. 
Um, that's yeah. yeah. So both him and his dog were fed, Dad. Um, the dog seemed to be a decent size to me. I don't know, maybe 50 or 60 pounds, if I had to guess from the picture. Uh, and then the age of the victim. Um, I guess that hasn't been reported anywhere, but from the photo I saw, it looked probably 60s. Um, yeah, and then I looked it up too, and so this name, Mark Hoffman, it's it said, and this is quote unquote, and like, we can't verify that they're the same person, but I'm going to say that there is a thing, and this is from this website, bcoutdoorsmagazine.com. It says, BC's Mark Hoffman, spelled the same, uh, two Fs, is Outdoor Canada and BC Outdoors Magazine's hunting firearms reviewer. And yeah, if you go there, if you basically go to bcoutdoorsmagazine.com, the website, the, the, he has a bunch of articles um, where he's like reviewing firearms and that. So huh. I don't know what that's about. Um, he's also on LinkedIn. Well, there's a guy named that on, on LinkedIn from BC. Um, so yeah, I don't know. It uh, seems a little odd. And also, yeah, the fact that the guy's like the firearm reviewer and that, like, I don't know. Yeah. Obviously kind of weird. Um, and yeah, and obviously an older gentleman too in that. So I don't know what, what exactly was going on there. So yeah, not a lot of info on this one, but both him and his dog dying is unusual, I, mm-hmm. I think usually, but, uh, I'm sure there's probably some other cases we cover where the dogs did too, but yeah, anyways. Okay. So anyone with information is asked to call the Southeast district major crime unit, I guess NBC, their tip line at one 987 8477 Toronto Homicide 72, Vangeli Kaskinov charged with manslaughter in relation to the death of Vinko Skoko. Toronto police responded to a medical complaint in the Bostead Avenue and Roncesvalles Avenue area on December 26th at approximately 9.05 in the morning. Police arrived to find Vinko Skoko, 68, of Toronto, in a residence in medical distress, Skoko was rushed to hospital where he was pronounced deceased. He had allegedly been struck by an object by a person riding a bicycle, according to police. So hold on here. So there's a guy on a bike. He's got an object. Throws he, it at a guy on yeah. a driveway. Uh, so he throws it, or does he, like, he ride by and hit him with it? Or? I don't know. We don't, we don't know. So yeah. we don't know the object in that, but, like... I don't know, like, obviously, like, there was an earlier case where the guy with the bike got hit by the, the vehicle and that, this but, is like, the bike. this is, like, the guy on the bike killing somebody Being else in that, so, so that's unusual, but anyways. Yeah. <laughs> on Friday, December 29th, Vengeli Keskinov, 51 of Toronto, had been arrested and charged with manslaughter and assault with a weapon. Investigators are still looking for additional witnesses and asking anyone who was in the area of Roncesvalles between Bostead Avenue and Howard Park Avenue and witnessed any type of argument or altercation on December 26 between 8.30 a.m. and 9 a.m. to contact police. Anyone with information is asked to contact police at 416-808-7400 or Crime Stoppers at 416-222-TIPS. So yeah, like nine oh five. That's pretty early in the morning then. So yeah, on okay. Boxing Day, like, yeah, it's weird. Do we know anything much? Anything about the victim then, or just the name and the age? Or no, he honestly, like, he just looked like an old man. Like, okay, I yeah. wonder what it was. I wonder yeah. what the argument was about. Yeah, and the guy like struck by an object by a person riding a bicycle. That's yeah. Yeah. That's pretty strange. Okay, uh, on to the next one. So BC's Integrated Homicide Investigation Team. Uh, investigates the death of Corey Douglas, farmer in Chilliwack, B.C., um, also the name of a band. 
the integrated homicide investigation team deployed to Chilliwack after the Upper Fraser Valley Regional Detachment RCMP notified that human remains have been discovered in the 46100 block of Princess Avenue in Chilliwack uh, on December 27th. Uh, the IHIT uh, identified the deceased as 35-year-old Corey Douglas Farmer of Chilliwack in hopes of advancing his investigation. So that's kind of interesting. They're kind of like, they identify the guy because they want the public's help in that. They're just yeah. not doing it because you should release that information. Yeah, but they just do it when they need help. Yeah, like that's what we, like we feel like, well, we're biased, but I think like when it's homicide, people should know that information. Uh, so IHIT is working with its partners in Chilliwack to canvas the area for witnesses and to collect CCTV, said Sergeant Timothy uh, Pierotti. I'm hopefully pronouncing that correctly, of IHIT. Uh, if you have information regarding Mr. Farmer and his whereabouts in the time leading up to his death and have yet to speak with police, now is the time to come forward. Um, IHIT is asking anyone with information who has yet to speak with police to contact the IHIT information line at one eight seven seven five five one ihit or 4448 or by email at IHITinfo, all one word, at rcmp-grc, period, gc, period, uh, CA. Um, like, is there a photo of him at all we have? or anything? No, I didn't okay. have a photo of him. Okay. Okay. Ontario Special Investigations Unit is investigating the circumstances surrounding the death of a 21-year-old woman at a residence in Thunder Bay in which police did not respond to 911 calls. Yeah, the Ontario Special Investigation Unit is investigating the circumstances. Thunder Bay Police Service received a 911 call about a domestic disturbance at a residence on Ray Boulevard at approximately 2 a.m. on December 30th. Officers did not respond to the scene. The SUI reported that officers had received a second 911 call to cancel the call for service. Officers did not respond to the scene again. A third 911 call was made from the home stating that the woman was found deceased. Officers responded and located her deceased. Two investigators and one forensic investigator have been assigned to the case. The SIU is urging anyone who may have information about this investigation, including video photos, to contact investigators at 1-800-787-8529 or online at siu.on.ca slash en slash appeals dot php. So yeah, that's interesting that they got a 911 call and then they didn't show up and then they got a call like saying to cancel it and then they got a third one. And, and yeah. The, and then they did show up, so. You think they, I don't know, usually, I don't know, around here if you call 911, they show up. Yeah. Even if they're super late but well it's interesting obviously like thunder bay has had like a lot of problems like obviously not a big populated place yeah and they have a lot of homicides yeah and uh yeah there's been issues i think with especially native homicides there and that and uh i think there was a i think there was like a series on crave and that where they were looking at the homicides and oh yeah there was yeah that was like i recommend that it was pretty it was uh informative for sure uh all right uh on to the next one so IHIT deployed to Chilliwack, B.C. Oh, wow, another Chilliwack one. Mm-hmm. Uh, for missing person, Jamie Chris- Curtis Bristol, uh, the investigation. So the Integrated Homicide Investigation Team was deployed to Chilliwack on January 3rd to uh, take conduct of the missing person investigation of 41-year-old 
Jamie Curtis uh, Bristol, who is from Chilliwack. Uh, IHIT said they became actively involved that the evidence was obtained, which led investigators to the belief that Bristol had been uh, met with foul play. Um, Bristol, who's described as six feet tall, 108 pounds with brown eyes and tattoos on his scalp, and a distinctive tattoo of a skull with flames on his neck, uh, was last believed to have been contacted December 22nd, 2023. Uh, investigators are asking anyone who had recent contact with Bristol to contact IHIT immediately. Uh, so IHIT is responsible for investigating high-risk missing persons where foul play is suspected. Uh, we're appealing to the public for any information that can help us locate Mr. Bristol, said Sergeant Timothy Perotti of IHIT. Uh, we're continuing to work closely with the Chilliwack, RCMP, and integrated partners to find Mr. Bristol as soon as possible, and I guess... So, so we have a photo of him on okay. our website. Does it have a photo of the t- tattoo, or...? It's just a picture of him in a car. It's okay, not, so you yeah. can't see this tattoo with the skull of the flames. Uh, okay, so the IHIT is asking anyone with information regarding the investigation to contact their IHIT information line at one eight seven seven five five one ihit 44448 or by email at info at rcmp-grc period gc period ca okay ethan richard gladu charged with the fatal stabbing of ivan rubinick in winnipeg winnipeg police service responded to a stabbing in the area of talbot avenue and watt street on december 20th at approximately 8 a.m on arrival police located 46 year old ivan rubinick suffering from serious injuries he was transported to hospital in unstable condition where he died of his injuries. Ethan Richard Gladue, 19, of Winnipeg, was arrested on December 21st at approximately 10.50 a.m. in the 100 block of Henry Street. Gladue has been charged with second-degree murder and has been detained in custody. Police said the investigation has indicated that Gladue, without provocation, fatally stabbed Rubinick while he was walking to work. Gladu fled the scene, resulting in numerous police resources responding to the intersection. So I guess Ivan and his wife, Yulia, and their children had been in Winnipeg for less than a year after fleeing the war in Ukraine. So, yeah, that's pretty sad. Yeah. Like, you're trying to avoid, like, the war in Ukraine and that. And then and you get randomly stabbed. And then randomly stabbed on the streets of Winnipeg and that. So, yeah. Um, it's interesting. He has a last name, Gladu, G-L-A-D-U, which is comes from that, the, the Gladu thing with the Supreme Court and that, like the huh. report for the Aboriginals and that. I guess it was from, came from a case from somewhere else named. Oh, wow. I did not Gladue, know that. where you take, like, uh, if they're Aboriginal, you take into account that for sentencing and that. So, huh. anyways, yeah. So, all right. Um, on to the next one. Uh, Calgary police are investigating a homicide in what is believed to be the result of a road raid incident. So this one is kind of crazy. Uh, Calgary police responded to a call from a pastor who was riding in a red 2004 Chevrolet Aveo who reported they were involved in an ongoing road rage incident while traveling around several roads in the northeast on December 12th, um, 2023, approximately 1230 p.m. A lot of, like, daytime murders this time. (laughs) Uh, Police said a 2002 GMC Sierra, so these are both fairly old cars, uh, was reported to be driving erratically and swerving in and out of traffic and was alleged to the driver flashed a knife towards the occupants of the Chevrolet Aveo. Um, the altercation is believed to stem from a non-injury hit-and-run collision that occurred between the two vehicles shortly after the call was made to 911. 
Uh, operators told the occupants of the Chevrolet Aveo uh, they were directed to disengage with the driver of the GMC Serrera, but they continued to follow the vehicle. Uh, according to Calgary Police, the alter- altercation continued to escalate. The driver of the GMC Sierra pulled over and exited his vehicle in the 6900 block of Temple Drive north, uh, Northeast. Uh, shortly after, the Chevrolet Aveo drove past the driver of the GMC Sierra, and it's believed he kicked the passenger side of the vehicle. Uh, the Chevrolet Aveo then stopped and reversed into the driver of the GMC Sierra. I shouldn't be laughing. But who was then struck and pushed into a nearby tree. As a result, the driver of the GMC Sierra sustained fatal injuries and was t- declared deceased at the scene. Uh, the victim has been identified as David Mervyn Berglund, 35, of Calgary. And police said the driver and the passenger were taken to custody as a result of the investigation. Steve Allen, 34, of Calgary, has been charged with manslaughter. So, like... That, that's a wild one. It's, yeah, it's like the guys, the two people, I don't know if they're both guys, but there was two people in the Chevrolet Aveo. Uh, they called the police saying there's a road rage thing. Um, yeah, they follow... They followed the other vehicle. Um, the guy in the other vehicle gets out and kicks their vehicle. And then, then they decide to like, run, well, I don't know. Anyways, basically they stopped and reversed into this other guy. So. Yeah. I don't know. Like that's. <laughs> and they were told just to. Yeah. To l- kind of like. Go. Let it go. Um, yeah. Like obviously if somebody kicks your vehicle, you can't kill them. So. Yeah. Um, yeah, and obviously the like, fact that you called 911 and you kind of said, like, hey, like, you're kind of, like... You're trying to protect the public, but then you... Yeah, and but yeah. also you're kind of giving up your own info, too, in that. So, yeah. like, you know, you're, you're going to get caught here if you're going to be doing that. So, yeah. I guess advice, whenever there's a road rate in- incident, it's always better to disengage. Yes. Okay. Um, all right, so we're on the section of the podcast where we go through uh, notable updates and arrests in cases we've talked about before. Uh, so this is an interesting one. Um, so a 1982 cold case murder of Kevin McBride in, in Toronto was solved with uh, genetic genealogy information. So on Monday, May 17, 1982, at about 8.36 p.m., police responded to a check address call at 5600 Shepherd Avenue East. Uh, the victim was discovered inside an apartment residence suffering from stab wounds and obviously deceased. Uh, McBride was last seen two days before his body was discovered by officers. Uh, according to reports, McBride was an art dealer, and police believe it was a robbery got wrong. Uh, back in the 1980s, during the initial investigation, police located McBride's vehicle, a credit card, and other items that had been stolen and used between May 15, 1982 and May 17, 1982. Um and police said that testing of evidence found at the scene revealed a male profile, um, not the deceased. In 2022, investigative genetic g- genealogy was used along with a private science lab. Uh, it took them time to narrow down the suspect, and by the time the suspect, William Taylor, was identified, investigators learned that he died in 2023, which is, you know, remarkable because they started in 2022. Yeah. And they just missed this guy. Just. Like, yeah. Yeah. So, because, yeah, this is like, uh, nah, this is more than 40 years ago. Yeah. And so, yeah, like, they, they were pretty close to catching this guy, uh, well, at least before he died. And so investigators said if Taylor was alive today, he'd be tra- arrested and charged with first-degree murder of the art dealer. So, yeah, it's kind of fascinating. This is coming up more and more, like these old cold cases and that, where they, I guess they have a genetic sample in that, like, I don't yeah. know, blood, semen, whatever, and that. And then, you know, they obviously can run it. And obviously, like, not... Even if they don't have the, uh, 
like the the victim uh, genetic profile that they can find a relative or something like yeah. that. They can definitely like narrow it down in that. So and that's probably why it took a yeah. So yeah, it definitely takes time. time in that. But like yeah, it's yeah. Certainly, we're seeing more of these cases where like yeah, like it's been decades and then people still and then it gets ends up getting solved. Yeah. Hey, this one is a pretty gruesome yeah. one. Um, Isaac Martin, an old world Mennonite, found not criminally responsible for the killing of his infant son with an axe in 2021. So Dr. A.J. Prakash, a forensic psychiatrist, concluded Martin had bipolar disorder with psychotic features and was unable to know the moral wrongness of his actions at the time of the offense. So here's the little backstory. Kitchener-Waterloo police responded to a home at 4355 Powell Road on September 18, 2021 at approximately 9 a.m. Police arrived at the scene eight minutes later to find one-year-old Malon Martin, who had been struck multiple times in the head with an axe in the basement of the home. Police said the boy's forehead was split open. According to reports, the victim's mother heard strange thumping noises coming from the basement. When she went down, she saw her husband standing over their son and saw Isaac Martin strike the boy with the axe. Martin fled the scene and was arrested nearby in a barn on the property. According to the Hamilton Spectator, Martin's wife told police he had been in hospital twice in, a, in the previous week for mental health issues. She described him as having a sick mind. In January 2024, a Kitchener court found Isaac Martin not criminally responsible. Um, yeah, so I guess that's that. So, Yeah, that's like a crazy case, so... Yeah, and we're going to do a podcast in the future on not criminally responsible cases, so... Because, yeah, it definitely seems like there's more people being found non-criminally responsible in that. In that. Yeah. So, yeah, I think it'd be, it'll definitely be interesting, I think, to kind of go over some of these cases in that, because, like, they're, they're definitely interesting, and, yeah, it's... Uh, yeah, like, there's a lot more to this case, but yeah. I figure if you if you want to read it, you can just Google him, because okay. it's pretty, pretty gross. Okay, yeah. Yeah. All right, uh, so on to the next one. So Preetpal Singh uh, was arrested, and Peel Police in Ontario issued a Canada-wide warrant for the arrest of a 16-year-old in relation to the murder of Nishan Thind. Um, so Peel Police were notified by a local hospital of a male who had been admitted to the hospital where he died of his injuries on December 19, 2023, at approximately 5.45 p.m., um, the victim had been identified as 18-year-old Nishin Thind of Brampton. Uh, investigators Thind had been shot at an unlocation and time and dropped off at the hospital. Um, yeah, that's kind of wild in that. So, mm-hmm. um, And then on Tuesday, January 9th, 2023, police executed a search warrant at a Brampton residence and arrested 18-year-old Preetpal Singh. And we have a picture of him on, on our website. Uh, he was charged with accessory after the fact to commit an indictable offense. Uh, he was held in custody and to appear before the Ontario Court of Justice in Brampton. Um, and so, yeah, so he was, so this, this uh, pre-Paul Paul Singh was arrested, but mm-hmm. he's only accessory after the fact. Whereas yeah. the 16-year-old, there's a warrant for him, um, he he was the one who charged with the murder then, or will be charged when yeah. they locate him. But 
it seems the police, they did not release his name. Like, obviously, no. he's a young offender, but, like, often the police, when they're on the run, they'll tell you like, Yeah, they'll is, give so. you, like, 10 days. Yeah. And then you have to take it off media, but they but haven't, they, they really haven't done it. given yeah. it there, so. So how, if he's on a Canada-wide warrant, why not? Yeah, why not, re- why not release it? Because, yeah, they can always take it off afterwards. So, yeah. like, yeah, but, like, no one knows who this dude, like, this dude could be there and be like, hey, I know Bob. Um, yeah. But, yeah, but we don't, no one knows. So, I don't, strange choices on that part of the Peel Police. Like, I can understand why you probably default for not naming the person, but, like, but if, if he's you, on the run for murder, yeah. then. There's yeah. a warrant for someone. You think that yeah, would be public should, information. Like, yeah, I think it's like, yeah, it's obviously if he's killed one person, then obviously, yeah, I think that, that trumps the right to not being named as young offender. So anyways, at least in my opinion. So, John Edward Collins, initially charged with first-degree murder, pleaded guilty to second-degree murder and the death of his former partner, Kinga, also known as Kay Criston. So the backstory here, Ontario Pavin- Provincial police received a report of a death in the Georgian Meadows subdivision on June 10th at approximately 8.20 a.m. On arrival, police located 55-year-old Kinga Kristen of Collingwood deceased inside the home. As a result of the investigation, police arrested John Collins, a 57-year-old man from Aurelia. He'd been charged with first-degree murder. And on January 10th, 2023, John Edward Collins who was initially charged with first-degree murder, pleaded guilty to second-degree murder. According to CTV, during the trial, the court heard that Collins had joined Kristen in bed at their Collingwood home before he snapped and struck her multiple times with a golf club as she screamed and pleaded with him. In an agreed statement of facts, Collins also punched her multiple times before the assault moved to the floor where he strangled her. He kept the body in the Alyssa Drive home for five days before a concerned friend of Kristen went back to check on her and alerted the police. The Crown and Defense jointly asked Collins, who automatically receives a life sentence for pleading guilty to second-degree murder, be ineligible to apply for parole for 16 years, and the judge also imposed a lifetime weapons ban against Collins. On to the next one. Uh, Okay, so the niece and nephew of murdered billionaire Barry Sherman are suing his other heirs over trust, heirs rather, over trust they they say may be worth more than 500. So we're always interested on this podcast about the homicide of Barry and Honey Sherman um, because they're billionaires. Like that makes it more interesting, sadly to say. Um, So Matthew and Rebecca Sheckman are taking legal action against their cousins, Sherman's children, as well as other family members in administration of the trust, according to documents filed with the Ontario Supreme Court of Justice. Uh, the Sheckman siblings are the children of Mary Sheckman, uh, who's the sister of Honey Sherman, uh, according to the lawsuit, which was filed last month and reported in the Toronto Star. Uh, Barry Sherman established the trust in 2016 to benefit his four children, along with those of Mary Sheckman and of Sandra Florence, which is his sister. Uh, the trust mean assets were shares in a company called Shermco, which is meant to capture the growth in the value of Sherfam Incorporated from 2016 forward, according to the lawsuit. Uh, Sherfam is the main holding company, which once encompassed uh, co- Apotex Incorporated, the pharmaceutical manufacturer that constituted the bulk of Barry Sherman's net worth. Uh, last year, Apotex was sold to a New York-based private equity firm for between three and four billion, according to Bloomberg. Um, a trustee is accused of breaching their duty, whom the lawsuit seeks to replace. 
are Barry and Honey Sherman's son, Jonathan Sherman, um, Alex Glasenberg, who runs the holding company, and Baron Brad Krawcheck, I think that's how it's pronounced, uh, the ex-husband of one of the Sherman's daughters. Uh, the two Sheckman siblings say these trustees have violated their duties by refusing to meet with them or share their trust accounts, including the value of the Sherman Co. shares, which they say may be worth more than $500 million. Um, after the Sherman's deaths, uh, Mary Sheckman claimed her daughter intended to leave her and her children hundreds of millions of dollars, but because Honey did not leave a will, the Sherman children declined to give her the money. So this trust is interesting because, like, I, from what I'm reading and what I've read, I guess this trust not only names the Sherman's children, but these, the children of... Like nieces The and nieces nephews. and nephews of the yeah. family and that. But um, I guess you can say anything if it's not on paper. Well, yeah, but find it. so yeah, but I don't know. It it seems I could be wrong, but it seems that that maybe these people are on the tr that part of the trust. It's just that I guess the people running the trust aren't just give, giving them any information. I could be wrong about that, but yeah, because they yeah. said that it wasn't in Honey's will. So. Yeah, but are they like this trust has to exist when it's created? And it, you would like, think you yeah. think like it they're named then maybe, but like obviously they're well not obviously, but like. It seems that these the executors of, or at least the trustees of this trust, are not giving any information. It's interesting, like if there's yeah. this much money in it, and they're part of the trust, like I don't know, I would assume like they're not giving them any money. But even though they're part of this, so I don't know. It's yeah, uh, it's all really shady. Yeah. This whole case is very strange, and hopefully obviously one when day. there's like yeah, there's billions of dollars involved, yeah. and and like yeah, like. I don't know. We've all like we've talked about this this case a lot in the podcast. There's like a Crave TV series that came out recently that's interesting. It does like a fairly decent synopsis. Like obviously, Sherman was like Barry Sherman was a weird. I like I don't okay. I don't want to say a weird guy, but he was an interesting guy. And like obviously, he had this genetic or generic uh, pharmaceutical company. Um, and like the the non generic pharmaceutical companies do not like him. Um, and for like <laughs> a lot of patent battles and that. Uh, to make money off of. And then also he was, yeah, he's, he invested in a lot of other things too in that, like kind of yeah. pretty haphazardly in that. So like, yeah, there's like still not solved and doesn't really seem like they're much closer to solving it. And then, yeah, and then a lot of family issues in that. And yeah, so what we've seen some of the reporting too from the star is that Jonathan Sherman, the, the, the only son of Barry and Honey, who is one of these trustees, that there's three sis three daughters and they're like, from what I've read, he's, estranged from them yeah because one of them at least one of the daughters thinks maybe he had something to do with the murder but like i don't know if there's i don't know if there's any proof of that but like yeah but she seems to think it so yeah there's a lot of weird family dynamic dynamics here in that and doesn't seem like they're a lot closer to solving it but i know they have done some like had some information i guess on like some mysterious shadowy figure with a limp or something like that that like yeah walked by the house or something like that at one point but before it was the murder. in the winter Everyone sort of has a weird yeah, limp like when maybe, they're walking like, on so ice. Yeah, so, so, I don't know. But so, maybe that was nothing. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> it could have so, been just a person. So some random guy with a limp walking by. Walk, so, yeah. yeah, so. You never know. It's, yeah, so I don't know. I don't know. I, like, if I had to bet, I don't, uh, I don't know. Like, sometimes maybe it could be one of those things 20 years later they figure it out. But or like, 40 years later. Or 40 years later. <laughs> Who knows? But I don't know. I think it's going to be a while before they solve that one. Yeah. Okay. Um, all right. So that's episode, what was it, 46? Yes. Our 46th episode. Um, yeah, and just to reiterate what we said at the top, uh, we got a website, homicidecanada.com. We try to have a post for every homicide, and we also have pages for all the provinces, uh, territories too, and the major municipalities. So, yeah, if you want to know 
what your province or homicide or rather province and municipality want to know how many homicides there are uh, or what's going on or like links to the victims, then yeah, you can check it out there. Uh, we got an email info at homicide.canada uh, uh, info at homicidecanada.com. So yeah, if we've missed a murder and you're in a municipality or province or so anything else you want to say, hit us up there. Uh, Twitter is homicide underscore Canada or DMs are always open. And Facebook and Instagram, just basically search Homicide Canada in the search window and it will come up. So yeah, until next time.